Well, good morning, family. All right, I want you to play along with me a little bit this morning. I'm going to show you some pictures. I'd like you to raise your hand if you kind of remember or recognize these pictures. So let's start with the first one here. There we go. Anybody seen this movie? Thank you, sinners. No, that's good. That's good. I've seen it too. It's a good movie. Yeah, you know, young Mel Gibson, right? Okay. And then, but how many of you remember this picture? Up. Yeah. A couple years back. That's actually Mel Gibson's mugshot, which as mugshots go, still not bad. Still not bad for Mel. That's pretty good. Um, But yeah, it's a couple years ago when he was arrested for uh, drunkenness and lewdness. And all right, let's try this one. Ah, yeah, Mickey, Mickey Mouse Club Britney, you know. Can you remember back that far to Mickey Mouse Club? Yeah, the, yeah, but how about this one? Really crazy Britney, really crazy, yeah. Remember that one. All right, how about this? We'll, we'll see if you know this one. Do you know who that is? Do you know? You're about to date yourself, aren't you? You're about, yeah. What, what's her name? <laughs> Hannah Montana, yeah, or, or as we know her too, you can go to the next one here. Yep, Miley Cyrus, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- this, these pictures only prove a point that there's a pattern in our culture, in our society. And that is culture will bait us to the edge of disaster. And then culture loves to mock us when we cross over into disaster. In other words... Perhaps you were part of their fan clubs. Perhaps you cheered them on and, and as we do our celebrities and, and, and we rooted them on and we said, yeah, go, chase after success, chase after fame. We want you to be number one. We're going to buy your records or watch your movies. We're going to do this. And then we get the popcorn ready because we can't wait to see their downfall. I mean, it entertains us. It sells the magazines. Yes, we want to see how good they do, but then we're so entertained when we watch disaster actually strike. You know what? This is a truth in our culture for our celebrities, but it's also a truth for us. In other words, culture baits us to the edge of disaster and then mocks us when we cross over. You've seen the commercials. Buy now. No money down. Pay later. You know, use credit even though you don't have money. You know, build, go into debt. And culture says, go ahead, do it. It's not going to hurt anybody. And then we do it. And then culture goes, whoa, wait a minute, you took our advice? Oh, hold on, it says here that you have debt upon debt, and it's just compiled. It says here that you are fiscally irresponsible. Uh, Perhaps you're not marriage material. I mean, that's what culture does. It it does it to us relationally and morally. Culture says, you know what, just go on the computer, go to those websites. They're for everybody. Everybody goes... You know, a little pornography is not going to hurt anybody. And then it baits us to the edge of disaster. And then we, the culture goes, wait a minute, you, you went on those sites? Oh, here, we've, we pulled your work log, and it says that uh, you're a pervert. You know, you need to be 100 feet from any school. And we go, we're well, just taking your advice. And, and so there's this universal truth, and that is that, that culture... It just doesn't give good advice. It's not looking out for our best interest. It's looking for the show. And so when it comes to drawing lines in our life, culture is not going to give us great advice. But we still need to draw lines in our life. We're continuing our series on security measures. Drawing these important lines in our life. It's not just that we draw them. What also is important is where we draw those lines. 
And hopefully you've been attending the last couple of weeks and heard some great messages from Kurt. If not, you can go back online and listen to them. But, but there's been some great wisdom shared. There, there's been some, some powerful scriptures and, and some just great thoughts and, and great ideas of where to draw these lines and these, where to place these security measures in your life. And, and perhaps as you're sitting there, your mind has gone off on one of maybe two tracks. You see, for some of you, you've been sitting there and you're going, this is good stuff. This is some sound advice. This is some, some sharp wisdom. And I hope my husband is taking notes. <laughs> you know, I, I hope my wife, I hope this is sinking in. Or I'm going to buy a copy of this for the kids or the grandkids. Because everybody else needs to hear this information. But I've kind of got this one down. Maybe that's where you've kind of drifted off to in your mind. Or some of you, you, you've heard the message and you're going, All right, this is good stuff. This makes sense. It's not that the logic is flawed, I'm, it's just that I'm not going to do anything with this. Not that I really disagree with the wisdom, not like it's not the wise thing to do, but I don't really want to be a good example. I just want to chase after money. I don't want to be prudent or wise, I, I want to date her. If some of you, you, you've listened to it, you've heard the advice, you've heard the wisdom, and you've dismissed it, and you said, that's fine, but I'm just not going to do anything with it. I would like to get a little closer to that sin without actually sinning. I'm afraid if I put this line in my life that perhaps I'm going to want to cross it later. It's, perhaps it's holding, out, holding me away from something I really want. And so for some of us, we, we've heard the wisdom, we've seen the scriptures, we've had the evidence presented to us. But we've just kind of decided to walk out of here the same way we walked in. No change. Do nothing with it. You see, today's kind of a checkpoint in our series. Today's kind of the, the time where we kind of gauge where are we at and have we actually done anything with what we've learned. And before you leave today, I do want to challenge you to draw a line, but also consider where you draw it. Uh, if you'll just hang with me this morning, I want to present to you two facts and one story. If you have your outline, now's a good time to kind of break it out. We're going to take some notes. You can follow along. I'm going to go over two facts, probably two of which you already know, but we're just going to remind ourselves. And the first one goes like this. Fact number one. The tension you feel today, it's not going away. The tension you feel today is not going away. In other words, if you know the wise fiscal thing to do is to not lease a car that you cannot afford, you know that's not a wise decision. However, you're tempted to lease a car you can't afford. You go, what? you know what, I'm just going to lease a car I can't afford. It's not like when that lease is up that you won't be tempted again to lease a car that you can't afford. We kind of talked about this last week, but if you're a married man and you're going, you know, I know it's probably not wise to have a girlfriend on the side, but I kind of want to have a girlfriend on the side. And you can have a girlfriend on the side, but it's not like once that relationship's over, you're not going to want another girlfriend on the side. It's not like you could say, hey, if I could just knock out this stupid decision, then I'm going to make wise decisions from here on out. It doesn't work that way. The tension doesn't go away. The problem, you don't relieve the pressure by making one dumb choice. You know why? Because we all share something in common. We all have appetites. And the thing about appetites is when you give in to them, it's not like they go away. The uh, 
couple weeks back, I noticed in my yard, in my side yard, where my, my property kind of butted up to the, butts up to my neighbor's property, that there's a hole there about yay big in the grass, in the sod. And uh, so I just took some dirt and I filled it back in, except two days later, I came back, same exact spot, same exact size hole, only a little deeper this time. And so I filled it back up with some, some dirt. Two days later, come back, same spot, same size hole, a little deeper. And this goes on about four or five times till I figure out this is not an animal causing this hole. I was getting my boys ready for school, getting ready to drive them to school, and I, I called my seven-year-old son Parker over and I asked Parker, I said, do you know anything about this hole in the ground? And that's when Parker said, you need to talk to Mason. <laughs> so I called my five-year-old son. He's in kindergarten. And I called him uh, over, and I, I pointed at this, this hole, and I said, Mason, did you dig this hole? And Mason proudly said, I, yes, I did. <laughs> and I asked him, I said, why, did, why, did you, why are you digging holes here? Why do you keep digging a hole here? He's, he said, he said, well, my teacher told me that if I dig holes, I can find bones. And I'm pretty sure that's not how the conversation went down, but he's been learning about dinosaurs. And, uh, and so, and he's been seeing how, like, these people, they dig holes and they find dinosaur bones, and so he's hoping for the same sort of success. And, um, and so I didn't know quite what did. I wasn't mad at him. I, I, just, I said, look, Mace, here's the deal. We're, we're not going to dig any more holes in the side yard. And I said, and then, but then I said, you know what? I pointed to a spot in our backyard. Part I don't care about too much. I can handle a little hole. I told him, I said, look, you go ahead. You can dig for bones right over in that spot over there, which was fine. Until I came home that afternoon. And I opened up my garage to pull my car in, and I realized that two of my shovels are missing. (laughs) I go into my house, and as I'm walking in, my boys are both running in from the backyard yelling, we dug so deep we hit water. Which was true. Which was true. And, and I look out. I look out into my backyard. And I see this big hole in my backyard. So deep that it is welling up with water. And so I told him, I was like, boys, we're done. We're done. No more holes. We're done digging holes. Uh, you know, we, fill it, we filled it back up. And, and that was fine. Until last week. I, I came in. I came home. I walked into the kitchen, and there was my wife, and the first thing she said to me is, you're going to need to deal with this. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. My boys are upstairs. They're playing like angels. I look out into the backyard, and there's two of the neighbor boys in my backyard with shovels digging a hole. I I walk out there, and I'm like, boys, what are you doing? And they said, well, our parents won't let us dig holes in their backyard, but... He said, but Parker told us that his daddy lets you dig holes in, in his yard. Yeah. No more holes in my backyard. It's the thing about appetite. You, you can try to move it around. You can say, well, if you just do it over here, it's okay. Or just feed it a little. It's not like it goes away. It gets bigger. It gets deeper. Trust me, you'll end up with holes in your backyard. That's the way it works. It, it's not like you eat a meal and it ends all meals. It's not like you drink a drink and you're never thirsty again. It's not like you, you buy a car and it ends all car purchases or you, you have a kiss to end all kisses. It's not how it works. The more you feed it, the bigger it gets. And sometimes the more out of hand it gets. Well, that's fact number one. Fact number two, wherever you decide to draw the line, that is where the new point of temptation 
will reside. Last week, Kurt shared with us some good advice, especially for married people. He said, if, if you're married, he said, a good, a good line to, to draw, a good security measure to have is to not have dinner with somebody of the opposite sex who is not your spouse. So let's just say that's where you draw the line. Let's say that's where it is. Well, guess what? That's where the temptation is going to reside. In other words, you go, I'm not going to have dinner with her. It's not my wife. I'm not going to have dinner with her. But she just invited me over, or she just invited me out to dinner. Well, that's where you're going to feel the temptation. I don't want to have dinner with her, but I kind of do want to go out and have dinner with her. And let's just say you cross over that line. And so you go and you have dinner with her. What's the worst that's happened? You've had dinner with her. And then you adjust your line and you go, well, I had dinner with her, but I'm not going over her house. But she just invited me over her house. That's the point at which you feel the temptation. I, I, I know that's it, but let's just say you give in and you cross that line and you go over her house. But your line is then just adjusted. Well, I'm over her house, but I'm not going upstairs. I swear I draw the line. That's who I am. I don't go upstairs. I'm not going upstairs. But she just invited me upstairs. That's where the temptation resides. See what I'm saying? Some of you are going, then what happens, Tom? You know, that's... <laughs> That was last week. You get, listen to it online. Yeah. Wherever you draw that point, that line, that's where the tension will reside. And so the idea is not to get as close as you can to disaster, but to, to get that line as far away from disaster as possible. It's like a football game. It's like a football game. You know, if you're the defense, then you have your end zone to protect. In other words, you want to get that line of scrimmage as far away from your end zone as possible. And not only do you want to get it there, you want to keep it there. You want to not only draw the line, but you want to hold the line. But if you let the enemy's offense cross that line, well, all of a sudden the line moves back farther, closer to your end zone. And if you can't hold it and you, you give up there, it's going to get even closer. And all of a sudden you find yourself in the red zone. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in a predicament that your line has, has gotten pushed so far back that you're about to lose the whole game. It doesn't matter just that we draw the line. It matters where we draw the line. I learned something in college. I learned something that uh, I lived with a bunch of guys in a, in a house, and we, we all were poor, and we had old cars, and, and it never failed that, that every weekend we were working on one of our cars. And, uh, and so, so I remember, like, one of us went ahead and broke down and, and got the, uh, the Walmart tool set, right? And, uh, you know, came with the little ratchet there, and, and uh, we could do some work. You know, got several bloody knuckles and all that. But, you know, you could do some work on it till, till one of us kind of gave in and said, you know what? I'm going to took our next paycheck and said, we're going to go a little better than that. And, um, and we got a little bigger, a little bigger ratchet, and all of a sudden, you know, we could do some work. All of a sudden, we could get some leverage. We, we could, you know, really work on the car. It, until one of us decided to cash in the whole paycheck and brought home one of these babies. <laughs> this is the big old bar, breaker bar, torque, torque wrench. And so the, the way it works is the tension's right here where, where the ratchet, where the socket meets the bolt, Right? But the idea is that the farther you can get away from that point of tension, well, then the more power you have over it and the more control you have over it. The farther away you can place yourself from that point of tension, 
the more you can turn it and it doesn't get to turn you. It's the same way. The farther we can place ourselves from the point of sin, the farther we can place ourselves from disaster, the more power we have over, we have over it, the more power we have to resist it. You see, not drawing lines doesn't solve anything. It's not like the tension's going away. And where you draw the line matters. And the idea is to, is to draw the line and hold it because not holding the line doesn't gain you anything. It only lessens your resolve. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Daniel chapter 1. Our story takes place in 605 B.C., There's this king, his name is Nebuchadnezzar. And at this point, Nebuchadnezzar has built an empire that is the greatest empire in the whole world. And it's taking over other countries, but Nebuchadnezzar was a bit of a genius. In fact, he would go in, he would take over a country, he would raid the capital city, but he would tell his officials to do this. He would tell his officials to go into that capital city and find the most beautiful, brightest, brilliant people. And you take them out of their capital city, which we're going to destroy, and you bring them back to our capital city there in Babylon. And so they would take the most beautiful, brightest, and brilliant people, and they would take them over to Babylon. They give them a new haircut. They give them some new bling. They put some new clothes on them. They change their names. They started to give them a new education, like a, a higher education. And the idea was there was a three-year program that by the end of it, they, they would have stripped away all this foreign culture, and they have, would have taught them Babylonian culture so much so that they would embrace it. And so this is what happens in 605 B.C. King Nebuchadnezzar goes in, and he raids the country of Judah. And he goes into the capital city of Jerusalem, and he decimates it. I mean, he, he loots the temple. He does that, but he tells his officials to go ahead and get the beautiful, bright, and brilliant people and bring them back to Babylon. And so they do. And, and you might recognize the name of at least four uh, Jewish individuals that end up in Babylon. Their name, are, their name is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys were teenagers, teenagers. Their country is destroyed. They've just been taken captive from and they their capital cities of Detroit have been taken to Babylon. Look at this, Daniel chapter one, verse five. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. So here you have these four guys among many others that all of a sudden get moved into the king's palace. They get to eat the best food in the land from the king's table, and they get a full ride to college. I mean, most people have found themselves in this situation. They're fist-pounding, chest-bumping, I mean, high-fiving. They're so excited. They just got a life upgrade. You know, they thought they were going to die. This this other nation destroys our nation. We're dead, or we're going to be slaves forever. We're going to have to go work in the copper mines. But all of a sudden, they find out that all of a sudden, their lifestyle has been upgraded. And so usually they're ecstatic, But not Daniel. Not Daniel. See, Daniel, he's a teenager. He's a smart teenager. And Daniel can see where this is going. In other words, Daniel can see, all right, they gave me a new set of clothes. They pierced my ear. They shaved my head. They gave me a new name. See, Daniel's name, the E-L in Daniel's name, it's short for Elohim, which is supreme God, Yahweh, the God we worship. Daniel's name means that Elohim is my judge. But they changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar. Bel was another name for the chief Babylonian god, Marduk. 
And they changed his name from Elohim is my judge to Bel is my defender. They did this to Hananiah. Hananiah's name means, means the Lord, the God of Israel, shows grace. And they changed it to Shadrach, which means under the command of Aku, the Babylonian moon god. They changed Mishael's name to who is like Elohim. And they changed it to Meshach, which means who is like Aku, the moon god. They took Azariah, whose name means the Lord, the God of Israel, helps. And they changed it to Abednego, which means servant of Nabu, the God of learning in Babylon. You see, Daniel realized where this was going. Daniel realized that if he did nothing, one day he would wake up and he would be Babylonian through and through. He would be participating in their customs, worshiping their gods. See, Daniel recognized what we often forget, and that is simply this. If you do not hold the line, it does not erase the tension. It only weakens the resolve. You see, Daniel knows that if you cheat once, it's so much easier to cheat again. If you compromise on sex or drugs or alcohol, or it's so much easier to to do it again and go even farther once you've done it once. That once you get a little debt, so much easier to accrue more debt. It's not like the tension goes away when we give into it, when we cross that line. It's just that our resolve is lessened. See, here's the truth about sin. Sin will take us farther than we intend to go. It will hold us longer than we intend to stay, and it will cost us more than we intend to pay. Sin never works out. It's yet to work out. It never ends well. And Daniel sees this and he realizes where this is all going for him. And so Daniel does something that I want to challenge each and, each and every one of us to do before we leave the room today. You can find it in chapter 1, verse 8. It says this, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. One translation says that Daniel made up his mind. The ancient Hebrew word where we get mind is lebov, and it's, it's this idea of it's not just your brain, it's, it's your heart, it's your inner being, it's your essence, it's who you are. In other words, Daniel decides, today I make a decision Here's the line. This is who I am. This is who I will be. Across that line is who I will not be. This is as far as you can push me. This is as far as I will go. Because this, he makes up his mind. This is who I am, and this is where I draw the line. And so he asks the chief official, Ashpenaz, the permission not to defile himself. Which is a pretty bold move. A pretty bold move to uh, tell the, the king who just conquered you, who's giving you, offering you his best food, that to eat that would defile him. It's a pretty big risk. And, and we wonder, you know, we, we don't know for sure, but there's theories of what's the big deal about food? What's the big deal about that one? I mean, perhaps, perhaps his reasoning was the Babylonian food wasn't prepared according to the, the kosher laws, according to God's uh, laws that he gave through Moses. And so that by eating that food, he's breaking God's commands. That's possible. It's possible that uh, we know that the Babylonians, before they would eat food, they would offer up thanks to the gods. They would take the food and put it on the pagan altars. They would pour a little wine out for their homies and, and uh, you know, put it on the altar. And, and uh, it's tradition. It's historical. Um, 
but we know they did that. And so that perhaps by eating this food or drinking this wine, this wine that, that Daniel's somehow acknowledging that these gods exist. Or, or maybe, maybe Daniel just didn't want to owe favors to a pagan king. Whatever it was, it didn't matter that Daniel was putting his neck out on the line. That The point of issue was it somehow dishonored God in Daniel's mind. You see, we're called to draw lines, not just to keep us out of trouble, to keep, not just to keep us out of the red zone, but also to honor God. Look, if you've been in church for a while, you know how this story ends. You know it ends well for Daniel, that this is just the beginning. God's going to do bigger and greater things. But Daniel doesn't know that. Daniel doesn't know how his story ends. Daniel doesn't get to read the book of Daniel and, you know, see, oh, this is going to be great come chapter 6. You know, this, this is... He, he makes up his mind before he knows the end of his story. Why? Why? Why insult the king? Why draw the line at the king's table? You see, I think Daniel knew how his story would end if he didn't make this decision. In other words, I think there's some of us in this room that know if we don't make a decision today, the path I'm on, it's not getting better. It's not going to end well. It's not going to work out well. If I don't draw a line when it comes to alcohol, this isn't getting better. If I don't draw a line when it comes to to my relationships and my friendships, it's not like this is going to start working out, even though up to this point it hasn't. It's not like if, if I don't make a decision on the sexual behavior I will and will not do, that this is all going to get pretty. I think Daniel knew where his story was going if he didn't make a decision. And so Daniel makes up his mind. There's another thing, though, I think Daniel did know, and you can see it in verse 9. Verse 9 says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. You see, when we question the sanity of drawing the line there, when we, when we kind of measure the repercussions of drawing certain lines in our life, we can often forget to factor in something that Daniel knew to factor in. And that is when we do our part, there is always a now God part. When we do our part, there's always this now God steps in. Now God intervenes when his people take a stand. You see, because of Daniel's resolve, because, because of this decision he made at the king's table, God takes this and uses this to direct his life. Because of this decision, we have a book in the Bible called Daniel. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of a decision made. What hangs in the balance of drawing important lines in your life. You have no idea what hangs in the balance. You might have a picture of how it's going to land if you don't make a decision, if you don't draw the line, if you don't decide who you are. You may get a picture of that, but you have no idea what hangs in the balance if you were to make a decision today to draw the line when it comes to this. You know, people who make those decisions... They're the ones that look back at life and they go, that was the day. That was the day. It was that Sunday before Thanksgiving that I made the decision of no more. This is as far as I go. This is it. This is where I draw the line. It was was that point in time in my life where I made up my mind and, and I did my part and I watched God do his part. People look back. People who make decisions like that look back and they go, you know what? I never would have got that job. If I didn't draw the line there, I never would have graduated high school or college if 
I didn't draw the line there. I never would have met my wife. For me, it was age 25. It was at age 25 where I decided I'm kind of tired of dating the same type of girl. And I realized that if I wanted to date a different type of girl, then I needed to become a different type of guy. It was at age 25, I had to draw, draw several lines in my life saying, this is who I will be. This is who I am. Here's the line. This is as far as I'll go. And the other side of that line is where I won't go. The other side of that line is what I won't do. It was age 25 that I drew some very important lines in my life. It was age 26 that I met my wife, Erica, and we were married. But I can tell you, Erica wouldn't even have gone on a date with me before age 25. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of making a decision to honor God with the lines you draw in your life, to protect yourself from the lines you draw in your life. Here's the reality. God uses these decisions not only to protect us, but also to direct us. Let's read the rest of Daniel's story, uh, starting verse 12, chapter 1. So Daniel asked the official for permission. He says, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this, and he tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of this time, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of making a decision to draw a line. You have no idea. You may have an idea what you're keeping yourself from, maybe where this will go if you don't, but you have no idea where it'll go if you do. And you'll never know. You will never know unless you make a decision to say, this is the day I draw the line. This is it. This is who I am. This is me. And the other side is who I will not be. I'm going to do my part and let God do his part. See, it kind of goes back to that football game where it's up to the defense to hold that line, but also, man, if we could push it forward, that's a good defense. If, you got, if you, they can move that line of scrimmage farther and farther away from your end zone, then, then that, that'll save us from a loss. But there's something more. If the defense can move that line farther and farther away from their end zone and closer to the enemy's end zone, all of a sudden, the defense has positioned themselves for the offense to come in and get a victory. You have no idea what God would, could, and wants to do if you just draw the line. You know the loss you're saving yourself from, but you have no idea the victory you'll set yourself up for. You do your part, there's a now God part. But it starts with doing what Daniel did, and that's making up your mind. I want to invite the prayer partners to come forward at this time. 
I'm going to close this in prayer. I want to challenge you to walk out of here different this morning than how you walked in. To not just say that was good stuff, but to do something about it. To make a commitment to God to draw that line and say, this is who I will be. It, it may be a commitment to just say, God, I'm yours. I'm done living my life. I'm ready to make Jesus Lord and Savior, and I invite you to make that decision. But here's the beautiful thing about Daniel's story. Daniel made a, a choice to stand and draw the line, but he did not stand alone. He had three of his buddies who made the decision with him, and they stood together. Daniel stood among brothers and stood up for what was right and stood up and said, this is as, as far as we will go together. You have an opportunity this morning to stand with your brothers and sisters. You have an opportunity this morning to draw the line and then to share that decision with somebody else, with, to, to come forward. We're going to pray here, but it doesn't have to stop here. You have an opportunity to plug into a community that's ready to stand with you. You have an opportunity to find support with other people who have, made, who have dismissed what culture says and said, this is where we stand. This is who we are, and it honors God. And if you need to make that decision, I'm going to pray for you, but I encourage you to come forward and pray with some brothers and sisters who are ready to stand with you as well. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you that you love us enough to overload us with your wisdom. Lord, you show us the right path because you love us more than we could love ourselves. You care about the direction of our lives more than we ever could. So God, I pray. I pray for the person in here who knows the path they are going down. It's not going to end well. They know that it's not getting better. They, they are wise enough to see that this is not, if I make no decision, it's not going to get better. And so God, I pray courage upon them. I pray for courage to make a decision today for who they will be and who they will not be. I pray you give courage and strength to that person. Lord, I pray that you give courage and strength to this church, that we will show the world who we worship, who our God is. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.